I do want us to finish up the book of Philippians as we conclude our series, Choose Joy. And we're going to do that by looking at one of the, uh, one of the old sayings. You've heard it a hundred times at least. Um, you've seen it everywhere. It is, that, uh, it is that acronym for joy, Jesus, others, and you. And to be honest, when we first started the series, I was determined that I was not going to use that because it's so overused and it's so old and everybody knows it. So I just wasn't going to use that. But then when I got to this last section of chapter 4, that is basically the point of the passage. That when we understand that Jesus is uh, is Lord, when we make him the one in charge of our lives, then when we start caring about others more than ourselves, it turns out that we find real joy. So as hokey as it is, and as tired and used up as it is, it's actually true. So let's look at Jesus, others, you, in the last part of Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up at verse 14. We, we finished our last time together in 13 with that great verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But we remembered to keep that verse in context. It's not saying that now that I'm a Christian, I'm a superhuman and I can do anything I want to do. It is saying that Paul says, I learned to be content, whether I have a lot or I have nothing, whether things are going good or going bad, whether the live stream works or whether it doesn't, whether COVID's here or whether everybody's healthy. He says, I've learned to be content. And it is in that context of contentment that he says, the reason I've learned to be content regardless of my circumstances. The reason I have learned to choose joy is because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can get through difficult times and be joyful. And I can go through good times but not get so, uh, so lax or ungrateful that I lose my joy. He said, I've learned to be joyful in both. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. He was saying to them earlier in the, in, in those, uh, uh, previous verses 10 through 13, y'all sent me a gift. And I want you to know that gift really made a difference for me because I was hurting and you sent the gift and it helped me. And that was good. But also understand, I, I'm not totally dependent on someone else because I've learned to be content in all things, so I'm okay. But I wanted you to know that I appreciated that gift you sent me. And it is in that conversation that he says in 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And I want you to hear how he phrased that. Because in that, we, we get the first clue for how to find this kind of joy that we're talking about. In just a moment, we're going to look at how important it is to make sure that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, make sure he's on the throne. But, but here he begins there in this, as he talks about our view of others, and he says, you get it because you shared my trouble. 
I love how he puts that. I, I don't know that we think of it in those terms very often. This is an explanation of compassion. Compassion means to feel along with. You shared my troubles. You didn't just feel sorry for me. You didn't just have pity. You didn't throw money at a problem, but you shared my troubles. And he's, what he's about to say, he's going to build his case for why he is glad that they have joy. And he's pointing out that one of the ways you, you have joy is that you're not selfish. He, he's going to explain to them that they are unselfish, sacrificial, generous people, and that is the source of their joy. So look, he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble, verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Now that's a powerful statement as well because what he's saying is even though nobody else did what was right, you did. Even though nobody else thought to partner with us and to, and to be a part of what God was doing as, as we started taking the gospel to the world, no, none of the other churches joined in, but you did. I, I, think there's, I think there's something that we need to hear there today because part of our joy is when we learn to take care of others regardless of what everyone else is doing. We, we're, we're too driven by... Um, a term that I, I'm not completely comfortable with, but we're starting to hear more and more of it, and that is tribal thinking. Tribal thinking in that I find my group, and then I let that group tell me how to view the world. And you know we all do that. We all pick which channel we like to watch the news on, and we let that channel kind of form our worldview. We decide which party we're a part of, or we're proud that we're not a part of either party and thereby kind of form our own party of all the people who are proud we're not one of those. We form our groups, and then we allow the group to kind of form our thinking, tribal thinking. But he says here, you guys have found joy because you decided to take care of other people regardless of what everybody else was doing. No other church was doing this, but you knew it was the right thing to do, and you did it. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. When I got started in Macedonia, you helped me. Later on, after I'd been doing all these things, I was in Thessalonica, you, you sent me some more, and he says, you keep doing it once and again. It's an ongoing unselfishness. There's a generosity that, that, that lends support over time. He's describing for them their own unselfish, sacrificial attitude that puts others first. And he's helping them see that's one of the reasons that you can choose joy. Bernard Rimlin was the director of the Institute for Child Behavior Research. He conducted an interesting study each person involved in the study was asked to list 10 people they knew best. And then once you get the 10 people you know best, he asked them to go back then and to label them as happy or not happy. 
just in general terms, regular life. Here's the, here are the people I know. This person is happy. This person's not happy. List all that. Then he asked the, the people who were participating to go back to that same list and label each one of those people as selfish or unselfish. And then he compared all the results. And what he found was that every person that was labeled happy was also labeled unselfish. You see, there's a key to finding joy. There's a key to being able to choose joy, and that is when we get out of ourselves, get away from the inward-looking mirror long enough to look out through the window at others. Because when it's all about me, then I get my feelings hurt because it's about me. When it's about me, I'm not being treated fairly because it's about me. When it's, when it's all about me, I, I want you to do for me. I want you to give to me. I, I'm unhappy because I never have enough when it's about me. However, those who find joy are those who learn that we really are happiest when our focus is on others. That's what Paul's actually doing here. He's saying to the Philippians, I'm glad you guys get this. I'm looking at y'all and I see joy. I'm glad you get that your focus is on other people. I remember a few years back, the Walmart commercial where they had, uh, it, it hadn't been going on too long. It was fairly recently after they started uh, hiring people to be greeters at Walmart. Uh, oftentimes they were retired people looking for a, a purpose, looking for something to do, looking for a way to be involved. And so they were hired, these folks, and they were, they were greeters. Well, this one particular commercial stuck in my head because uh, there was a Latino man, and he spoke with a, a, a strong accent, and he talked about how much joy he had when people would come through the door, and he would say, what I can do for you. And I thought that stuck in my head. And years later, that drives me at times, what I can do for you. There was joy in this man's face. He had so much fun doing what he was doing because it wasn't, what are you going to do for me? It was, what I can do for you. Paul says, you guys in Philippi, you get it. You supported me when I needed it. You continued your generosity throughout the journey. You understood what it was to look out for others. And as Paul is saying that, you might think, well, so good for the Philippians, but doesn't that mean that Paul was kind of selfish? Because he's saying, y'all did good by giving me a gift. Well, doesn't that make Paul kind of selfish? Not if you keep reading, so let's do that. See verse 17? Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
He says, I'm not looking for the gift. It's not about me, Paul says, but what, what excites me is there are people who are getting saved. There are people who are coming to know Jesus. That's the fruit that he's talking about. The, the investment that they've made is, is now multiplying. And he says, that's, that's the whole point. That's the, what makes it so joyful. It's not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases. And it's, he says, it's not for my credit, it's yours. It's your investment. That's why he could have joy, because they were receiving blessings by being a part of God's work. So he says, it's not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases. More and more people are getting saved, and that's to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And, and so he, he understands that, that he's not, it, it, it's not being selfish for him to say, thank you for the gift, I needed that, and it's helpful. Because he's saying, it's not about me, it's about God's work. And you guys are, are looking at it the right way. You're investing in the lives of others, and it's working. And so he said, that's why I'm so happy for you. What we figure out as we look through Scripture what we find out is that, that God funds God's work through God's people for God's glory. God funds God's work through God's people for God's glory. And so when you, when you, give, when you give to uh, the Lord, when you give an offering, if you ever think that you are just paying the electric bill, just go ahead and keep it in your pocket because we'll be okay. Honestly, the whole time I've been here, over 25 years, you have never heard me ask you to give because the church is in need. That's not the way that works. When you give, you give as an act of worship, as a sacrifice. Otherwise, just hold on to it until you get to that place spiritually. You see what he says next? This, this, just, this is just mind-blowing if you've never thought of it this way. Because he says in the last part of verse 18, I have the gift that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's how he viewed their giving. Not, not as paying his bills, but they gave as a sacrifice, as an act of worship. It goes back to um, this, this phrase, uh, a fragrant offering. Now, you know money doesn't smell good. It looks good, it does good, but it don't smell good. What he's saying is when you give, you're sacrificing something. And that is reminiscent of the Old Testament times when they would sacrifice animals. They would slaughter the animal, put the animal on the altar, light the fire, and the smoke would rise. As that smoke would rise, that was seen as their offering to God. And they were hopeful that when God smelled the smoke... It would be a sweet-smelling aroma to him in that he would be pleased that they had given their best. 
that their sacrifice would be meaningful to God. When you give, you want to give in a way that is sacrificial, that says, this is for you, God, and I hope it pleases you. So every time you turn on the TV and you hear that preacher say, if you'll give me a little bit of money, you'll get a whole bunch more back, he just ruined it for you because that completely, completely misrepresents the point of giving in God's kingdom. Because if it's not a sacrifice, then it's worthless. Paul gets it. Paul says, I know you sent me a gift and, and I'm grateful for that, but I I'm not as concerned about the gift as I am joyful that you sacrificed to God to make that happen. That is the essence of other thinking, window thinking, giving for the kingdom. And so he says to them, it's a fragrant offering. And then he reminds them of that great promise in verse 19. Now, when we started verse uh, chapter 4, I told you that we would have three or four verses that stand out to you as some of your favorite verses. You've heard them forever. You, you've got them on the back of your T-shirt. You know, you, you, you got a keychain that has... These are, these are some of those verses. There's about three in this chapter. And we love to take them out of context and apply them however we want. And this is one of them. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, that's that's an awesome verse. My God will supply every need you have. And you think, well, what if he runs out? (laughs) He can't run out because he is going to provide every need that you have according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's an awesome verse, but remember the context. What he's saying is when you learn to be so other-minded that you sacrificially give to others, you sacrificially give to the work of the kingdom, you sacrificially give for others' well-being, when you are so other-minded that you're willing to give up something of self to take care of others, It'll be okay because God is going to supply your needs. Even though you're sacrificing, he is going to supply your needs. I have a friend that loves to say, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. When you give, when you sacrifice, and I don't mean put money in the plate. I mean do something for someone. When when you're giving of yourself, you're not going to run out. Because God's going to take care of you. And he has plenty of supply to make sure. It's an awesome verse. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. Now notice he says he'll supply every need, not every greed. You don't get everything you want. That's why the whole investment in the kingdom thing doesn't work. You give give me a seed and you'll reap all this. It doesn't work that way. Because he didn't say he was going to satisfy our greed. But he will satisfy our need. So here here is the the church in Philippi. And Paul says to these folks, man, you guys guys get it. This is why you can choose joy. Because you're other-minded. You look at the world beyond the stained glass window. 
You're looking at others and taking care of them. And that's why you are setting yourself up for, uh, to, to be in a position where you can choose joy. And as he thinks about that, he says, listen, you're going to give. And when you give, God's going to take care of you. He's going to supply all your needs. And that gets him so excited. He doesn't know what to do but to shout a praise. And so I think verse 20, were it written today, would be in all caps. He is shouting this praise to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. He just can't get over the excitement of the fact that God is going to supply all your needs through because he's got everything in glory at his disposal. That excites him so much that he just shouts that praise to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that brings him then to the conclusion of the letter, the final greetings. And he says in verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And when he says greet every saint, he brings us full circle because he started this letter, Philippians chapter one, verse one, by greeting the saints in Christ. And now he ends it the same way. Greet all the saints in Christ. Now remember, saints are not superhuman holy people. Saints are folks who have trusted in Christ, been forgiven of sin, and have been given a new life in him. Saints are true believers, Christ followers. And so he says, man, greet all of the saints there in Christ Jesus. Tell everybody howdy, is what he's saying. And then he says, the brothers who are with me greet you. That means at least Timothy and Epaphroditus, probably some others. The, the Christians who are here with me, they greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And we remember earlier in the book that, that uh, Paul is in chains. He's in prison while he writes this. But he says, you know, one of the good things that has come out of that is that I've had the chance to share the gospel with some of the people in Caesar's household. That doesn't mean his kids. It means the people who, who work and probably are enslaved in that household. And he, but, but he says, they've come to know Jesus because I was in jail. Man, talk about counting your blessings. And so he says, even those people, especially those people, greet you. And so he concludes the letter, greeting the saints, saying the saints here greet you, tell everybody howdy. And he's, he's just beginning to celebrate that joy. And then he concludes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There's a reason that he ends that way, because he knows that it is only in Christ that we can choose joy. Outside of Jesus, there is no joy. That's why the little acronym thing works okay. It starts with Jesus. But if there's no Jesus, there's no joy. And so he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He has mentioned Christ 40 times in these four little chapters, 40 times he has mentioned Christ and reminded us that Christ is the source of joy. He is the place we find it in relationship with him.
That's why when Jesus was born, the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. When the psalmist sang, he said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's no wonder Paul told us in 4, 4, to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, to rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is the source of strength. He is, he is the, the source of our joy. That's how we rejoice. I have to ask you, Ed, and I'll let you know that everybody in the early service failed. Does anybody in this service remember the children's song? Joy is the flag flown, flown high from the castle of my heart. Does anybody remember singing that? Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart, from the castle of... Come on! <sighs> All these years I've invested in you people. JT, we got some work to do on the music. Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart because the king is in residence there. That's the song. Joy. Joy is my flag, and the reason I can fly that flag of joy is because the king is at home here. It's based on an old tradition that actually continues today. The old tradition is that, that if, when the king is at home in the palace, they'll fly the national flag. If he's not at home in the palace, they fly a different flag. The same thing happens today in England. When, when the queen is at Buckingham Palace or Windsor Castle, if she's not there, they fly the Union flag. If she is there, they fly the royal standard. The different flag lets you know if the king or queen is at home or not. And so the little song says, joy is my flag to let the world know the king is at home. Jesus is on the throne. And when Jesus is on the throne and I'm looking through the window at others instead of looking in the mirror at self, then I find joy. If it's about Jesus and it's about others, I can choose joy. And notice one more word and we're done. He spoke of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his prayer was, let that grace be with your spirit. The truth is, we've spent weeks now talking about choosing joy. The truth is, none of us deserves joy. Nobody deserves joy. But if we're going to experience it, it is because of his grace. Jesus paid it all, we sang just a moment ago. An act of grace. He took my sin and gave me his righteousness. He took my sorrow and gave me his joy. If you and I are going to choose joy, it's only going to happen by the grace of God.